Welcome to Health Outreach Partners podcast series, The COVID-19 Pandemic and What It Taught Us. In the fourth episode of our eight-part series, we will be talking about the importance and impact of outreach, particularly for farmworker communities during the pandemic response efforts. Thank you for tuning in. All right, so today we are joined by Mary Jo Ibarra Vega, who is a licensed mental health counselor and a neuroscience informed certified therapist. She is the outreach and behavioral health coordinator at the Quincy Community Health Center in Quincy, Washington. Mary Jo also coordinates the Promotor de Salud program, which has received numerous state and national awards under her leadership for its work with migrant farm workers, innovation in outreach practices, and dedication to youth. Mary Jo is a subject matter expert in migrant farm worker health and outreach, and we're honored to have her with us today to speak about the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on farm worker communities and the importance of science-based outreach practices. So thank you so much for being here today with us, Mary Jo. Buenos dias, good morning. So we are so excited to chat with you today. Um, we at Health Outreach Partners really know that outreach plays a central role in access to resources and information sharing. And the importance of outreach became even more apparent throughout the COVID-19 pandemic response. So your work as the Outreach and Behavioral Health Coordinator creates access to care for those that may otherwise be unable to access or unaware of available services. And not only that, but your outreach services augment the capacity of medical, dental, and behavioral health clinicians to provide a quality continuum of care that addresses the social determinants of health experienced by farm workers. Your team are also staunch advocates for proper housing, education, and immigration service, all while promoting and providing health services. And this was really just the job description even before the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. So can you describe a little bit about how the COVID-19 pandemic impacted your outreach practices or the service provision that you provided to farm workers? So I was thinking about this as uh, we were getting ready for the podcast, and I recall that we all knew that the time was coming that many of our staff were going to be sent home. I remember that our, I think only our promotora, when the notice went out about who was going to stay home, she was one of the people who said, oh, uh, they were they notified her. This email doesn't include you. So she was the only one, I think, from the long list of people who were sent home um, that it didn't really impact her job. It did me for about 24 hours. Wow. Yeah, I think I, I, think I remember thinking, what am I going to do now um, that I've been sent home? Um, I remember getting up and walking my dogs and I got a phone call from um, my boss um, and, and said, hey, we want you to come back too. And so I, I kind of laughed. I didn't really even get a chance to think about um, what I was going to do um, mm-hmm. with all that time off. I think immediately for us, it kind of sent us into um, really thinking about where we were at. And um, I think the first thing that I remember happening before that time was that I want to say there was a conversation with one of my friends. Her name was Carol McCormick, and uh, she is one of the co-founders for the Washington State Promotora and Community Health Worker Network that we established here in uh, Washington. And she said, Mary Jo, we needed basic training for promotoras. And uh, because she was a public health nurse and was working with the Schlein County Health District, she kind of said, we, we need to do something very quickly, very simple, so people have an understanding of what this is. This is when COVID actually first hit the United States on the west side of uh, Washington. Mm -hmm. And she knew 
she knew it was going to jump across the mountains. So I remember that Sunday, she gathered a bunch of us together in Wenatchee, and she said, I'm going to give you guys a basic training about what COVID is um, and, and just some real simple practices. And the plan was for us to come back Tuesday, the following day, two days later, and to train our promotoras. Um, she was going to come and train us. Um, but I was there for that initial training. And then we started talking about how we were going to use that information to start getting information out to farm workers. So basically, our plan was nobody's going to teach us. Nobody's going to get the information to us. So we need to we need to jump into action and help save ourselves. It's kind of like when you go to an airport and you're sitting in the plane and they say, you know, you know, if there's a, some sort of a situation, emergency, and there's the mask that come down, put the mask on first, kind mm -hmm. of put yourself first so you can save others. Right. It's kind of where we were at when COVID started. Um, and I and I do recall that once we had our first case in, in Eastern Washington, that was on a Monday. And so, of course, Carol said, if if it hits Eastern Washington, you're not going to see me anymore. And and that's exactly what happened. Wow. So the, the following, I think the following Tuesday or that following week, I provided training to our promotoras. And we immediately said, we need to get this information out to as many community members as we can. And then we also started to create a curriculum for farm workers um, because we knew this, this, this was going to devastate our farm worker community because of the language barriers. Mm -hmm. We received, well, I received several phone calls from some of my uh, friends who are farm worker advocates. Many of them are attorneys and run really great organizations that we count on here. And they started saying, Mary Jo, what are you going to do? What yeah. are you going to do? I, I, what are we going to do here? And we we kind of started mobilizing ourselves again, first by receiving information. Then we started talking about how are we going to mobilize other promotoras and community health workers. For those of us who were left, because many, many people were sent home, hmm. including outreach people. So we found out very quickly we were the only, we were like for many months, months and months, the only outreach team that was working in person through the pandemic in our whole entire state. Wow. So basically it was mobilizing is what we kind of did. We mobilized, we prepared ourselves using science, um, the science that was being put out by the CDC, information that we were receiving here from our providers and in particular our medical director and uh, our COVID director at the time as well. So we, we really relied on their information and and then we packaged it in a very simple way for our community and, and the language that they understood. Yeah, and that really is key. And it sounds like, you know, you were truly on the front lines in terms of, you know, really the first to respond in this state of Washington for this population and potentially their only lines of of communication to receive those accessible resources. And I think that the start of COVID was a crazy time for everyone, but especially reaching farm workers and their communities. So can you describe also, you know, how that starting from such a, you know, really a hectic place, but able to mobilize so quickly, how have your response efforts evolved since those initial days? I think, again, early on, we we did a lot of mobilizing and so and, and who I I believe we mobilized with well was that because we had already created a, a network and it's it's formal and informal 
um, we already had those relationships. So a lot of the promotora programs across the state and in other states who are also commute that have that live in community health centers. We were kind, we all knew each other. We know each other. We've trained them for several years already. So we came together. And one of the things we did right away um, after I got the phone calls is we decided we would start a farm worker phone call. But it's a farm worker and farm worker family phone call. And it was for boots on the ground people like other promotoras and community health workers in particular that were in, in a medical facility facility, but then we also included community-based organizations into those conversations. I knew I was going to be swamped, so I asked Farm Worker Justice and Northwest Regional Primary Care Association if they would administer or run the call for us. And I would, of course, be there, but knowing that I also am a behavioral health consultant, then I, I get drawn away. Mm -hmm. um, that it was going to be tough. So I kind of said, we need to set them up as, as kind of running the the, the call, um, that I was going to be there with them. And then knowing that sometimes I wouldn't be able to be there. So we, are, we had all of these people begin to join us and find out what are you guys doing? What's going on in each of your communities? Who's still working? That was the other one. A lot of people weren't working or they were doing things from their phone um, out of their clinic site. So it was just kind of assessing what the needs were, um, what were the community saying, what were they, what did they need, what were uh, also uh, best practices immediately. Mm -hmm. and, and then um, I think that was really key to, I think some of the work that we, we did initially. And then again, we immediately started using that curriculum that we created uh, and it was uh, strategies to do COVID mitigation with farm workers, in mm. particular, H-2A workers. Um, and I don't know, um, I'll, I'll do a little promotora thing here, right? I was going to say, so I want to talk a little bit about where our state is and how important that is. And also, it kind of describes some of the work that we do. But I know we're on a pod podcast, people can't see us, but I'm going to actually walk them through just this little ditty I do about my work. Um, but it also will um, help have them have a visual of where we work and the community that we work with. So if uh, podcast listeners would lift up their left hand um, up to the side of their face and then roll their fingers down mm -hmm. and then bring their thumb in and they turn around and look at it, that looks like the state of Washington. And in the very middle of your palm, if you point to it, that's where the clinic is and resides in North Central Washington, so right in the heart of North Central Washington. And if you made a line all the way down the center of the state, from the top to the bottom, or basically from your knuckles to your wrist, the majority of H2A workers live in that region, and that's the region that we cover. So we wanted to get out there and start teaching prevention education to them because we knew there was nothing that was going to come out soon. So again, that, that base curriculum that, that my friend Carol created, um, we, we transformed it into needs that farm workers would need based on some emergency rules that were coming out. So we married the two, the two pieces of information from our state and from other entities and put together a curriculum that would help um, basically safeguard farm workers, and in particular, H-2A workers. So we started doing a lot of that outreach work 
to growers and offering them that, that piece of information. And then some of the emergency rules that happened in our state also allowed for us to be able to go in because there are still many locations people don't trust people to go in and talk to their workers. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, some people might think we're the cops. We're, we're there to help and, and make sure that your workforce is healthy and strong. And so this was a good opportunity with the new rules for that to be opened up and for us to be able to talk to workers openly and, and for them not to be afraid. So those are, I think those are some of the pieces that started happening for us. We we started finding out what, what, the, what the needs were. And I remember one of the very first things were we needed masks. We needed masks and we didn't have any. So I, I, I started asking without selfishly I just started to say I just started like not even caring I need masks who can I get masks from I started begging and I started getting people from different places in the country sending me masks and I would write notes back to them to tell them what they, we were doing with the mask and and I would get notes back oh I'm so happy to know that this is going to people who are putting food on our table it was really, it, that was really important for us to get those masks out, handmade masks in particular at first to the farm workers who needed them. So I just remember some of those really initial start of phone calls, what we needed, what people needed, what did we need? And then us being educated also about COVID because we were putting our lives on the line as well, being out there. But I think that's how kind of the process happened that we were doing a lot of prevention education first about COVID, and then we talked about even getting ready. What, you know, we heard the vaccine was coming. Um, what could we do in the, in, the, in the meantime? What were some of those safeguards like washing hands, wearing masks, social distancing, um, keeping H2A farm worker housing sanitized and clean, and how do you do that? Um, how do we take care of where we travel together with people, um, you know, not having quinceañeras and fiestas, mm -hmm. uh, and because that was a big issue. And so that's what some of the stuff that was happening during the, the first initial times. And it's it's eased off. Then we started doing talks about the vaccines coming. Here's what you need to know. And then started talking and training about COVID, um, you know, fear, you know, a lot of the myths. So and then we, we got really involved also with our state in our local health jurisdictions to create I remember flyers, uh, um, we did videos, we, we created lots of really great documents that were, um, that met the health literacy of our population. And in our, and in that first, was it, I think it was the first summer, we also, through Latino Health Civic Alliance, they actually gave us promotoras and we hired young promotoras, I remember that was my key. We wanted to use that population to address that the population's concerns. And so they created what was called a myths and fact sheet. And now I see lots of people using that term myths and facts and other people also using their own myths and fact sheet. But I, I want to say that we, we were the um, intellectual authors of that sheet. Um, and we had a myths and fact sheet that we put out first. And then when the youth came, they created a myths and facts junior sheet really discussed what the youth were concerned about. And we had them go out and talk to youth and, and then also create and bring back what their concerns were. So that was really important to us as well during that time. So we kind of feel like we've had different phases, right? Um, and so we're, we continue to work with where we're at right now. And also now, of course, talking about 
um, how are we, because we're still, we're still in this time of COVID, right. um, we may be seeing, uh, maybe seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. And so we're also talking about that process and what it's going to look like um, as we start our recovery process. Thank you for sharing all of that, because I know, you know, talking about just the impact of COVID is so, it's so extensive and it has, like you're saying, evolved and come in waves and phases. And I think that what you're describing about, you know, you really mobilized and you created initiatives that built upon themselves. You know, you educated the the outreach workers and the promotores, and then they would go out and educate others, created curriculums that were applicable to so many communities and then included so many other agencies and organizations that that just really continued again to build and grow upon the effectiveness of your response. Something that I wanted to ask here was, you know, you you had mentioned the curriculum development, and I know that one of your more recent projects has been on science-based outreach practices. So I wanted to ask about how you see these science-based outreach practices being implemented, how they impact outreach workers, how they impact the communities served, and how they stand out for you. Well, so I want to give some kudos to you guys as well to start with, because it was your organization and and health outreach partners. Um, when I first started, and it's going to be 20 years this this November. Congratulations. Um, wow. Yeah, but that's also that's also kudos to you guys, because I literally wrote down that you guys are like our madrinas, our godmother <laughs> for our program here, which is really cool, because it was, you know, um, I, I still remember getting uh, when I first started, and it was just part-time because I was still working at the Quincy School District as a school counselor. I started working at night, and, uh, and um, I remember somebody giving me a box, here, here, start a promotora program. Like, go figure it out. And it was, it was pretty, like, okay, this is on me. Um, okay, let me read through what's in this box. And um, information from your guys' organization was in the box. So I reached out to, um, I started looking for programs and what, what are promotora programs. And as I was researching this, I'm like, I, I, I kind of, I know the philosophy, but I didn't know the name perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I reached out to people in your organization and attended trainings that you guys had and also other organizations. And uh, basically your the information that you shared with us was, again, the foundation for how the program was set up. So you kind of had like, I, I needed to establish like a foundation. And so some of the the pieces that you guys fed us about what it should look like and what it could entail were, were part of me creating that program here. I also remember um, being at different trainings for like the Western Migrant Stream Forum, meeting your staff and attending for uh, abstract presentations that your team would have and would bring back that information and and would build that program and look at the you guys would give us examples of stuff and then even to this day our our large group encounter looks very similar to the original one but we tweaked it right and now Mm. it's digital now it's digital now we made it shorter faster easier and so we still use that to gather a re-encounter that we have with people. And it might be that we talk to three people as, you know, three times in a year, which still is important because it might be about different programs, but, mm-hmm. you know, we still use a smart method, you know, it, it has to be measurable, has to be attainable, you know, and, and the other thing that we do 
that was that's super important to me as a researcher as well is that we get the voice of the community. So part of our planning um, and our evaluating has to do with asking the community. So we do a, a, a needs assessment, which is it's this time of year that we do a needs assessment for the following year. And and so we, you know, some people who know me and have worked with me, um, I call it the bolita method, right? And so basically the bolita method um, is like little, little colored dots. Um, and what we do is we go into a community and we, and we say, hey, you know, these are the things we taught last year. These are the things you guys asked us for. What do you guys want this year? So we'll go to different events where we know the community is gathering and we start making a list of the things that they think are important. And as people are participating, we give them three little dots and they put the three little dots next to the items that are more, most important to them. And very quickly, you begin to see where all the dots are landing. And so what we do is we take the top three um, topics and we include those in our plan for the following year. We also interview our, our providers and ask them what topics they believe we should be focusing on the following year. And then we also ask our team here, um, our outreach providers or outreach staff, what do you guys think we should be doing next year? So we, we kind of put those pieces together. Um, we also look at what, what's going on with research, what is science saying, what are people looking at? And we, we pull those, those items together and we create, um, I, think, I think you guys used to call it a, a logic model. So we created a logic model that we had um, and that we used. And then what we did is we, we modified it because my CEO created something similar. Okay. Um, and, and so what we, I kind of did is I married the two. And, and so basically it's our goals as an outreach team, our goals, our strategic imperatives from our clinic. Um, and after I became a, a Women's Health Leadership Institute graduate, they, we also began, I started to include Healthy People 2020's goals. And so basically, our outreach plan has the boots on the ground, community level goals that match our strategic imperatives that also match healthy people's goals. So you have a local view, the our region or our catchment area goals, and then you have the national goals and they're all aligned. And, and so, you know, when people say, well, where'd you get this information? Or, you know, how do we know that, you know, outreach is, it's kind of fluffy. No, we're, we're using science to do this. And we're using measures um, and we look at outcomes. And every month, our program does a monthly report. And it's really hard for me to do monthly reports. Mm -hmm. um, I do, I do, I throw pictures in there from our outreach events. Um, I write a little paragraph. And also at the end of the report, give all the numbers and every event that we have. So every event that we have has encounters of who we saw, where we went, um, what we did with them for every month. And then at the end of the year, we have a culminating end of the year report. And then we have all of the numbers that we've served throughout the year. So we use science all the way through, all the way through from beginning to end. And so I'm really proud about that, but it's also a really great way so that people, you know, again, you hear outreach programs and are they sustainable? What do we know about? How do they know we work? We know it works. 
um, and we have the proof, right? That little science geek. I do have an MS, so Master's of Science. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's a little side piece note of, of me. I also do, um, I also am very uh, keep my finger in research as well um, regarding the, this population, especially migrant seasonal farm worker um, populations, um, and and so that's kind of a little side thing I do. But I introduce that those pieces into the work that we do here at the clinic. And that's incredible to hear. I'm so glad that you've really benefited from HOP's resources, but also just the ability to incorporate so many voices into the the plans, like you're saying, is is a huge feat and is a huge accomplishment. And then to be able to quantify a, you know, outreach in, in a lot of ways is difficult to quantify, I think, in just how many people it reaches and what exactly the impacts are, you know, how informed decision-making does impact health, but to have those numbers monthly culminating in an annual report is a huge feat. And I know that that benefits your community. So really kudos back to you too, for doing all of that for your community. And I'm curious about how you've seen others, like you've said, you know, sometimes outreach might sound almost fluffy or like, what, what does that really mean? Have you seen the importance of outreach broaden throughout the course of the pandemic or, or change just really due to the huge role that promotores and outreach workers play in, in your community? Yeah, I think, you know, while the pandemic was and is, um, you know, so it, we'll never be able to talk about its impact in a negative way. But also what I kind of feel that the pandemic did for promotora work and community health worker work is to really highlight what we already knew, that it works, it's cost effective, and the outcomes are are better. Mm -hmm. um, reach people and it's more impactful for, for people. And I and I mean that in a overall wellness definition. So I think it makes people feel better uh, health-wise. I think it makes them feel better mental health-wise, maybe spiritually as well. Um, and then just being connected. So I think that, yeah, I think um, as far as like uh, that piece, we we do really well at. I also believe that during the pandemic, we I I continue to say this. There's a gentleman I just have the, the greatest res respect for. Um, his name is um, Dr. Tomas Madrigal, um, and he was working for the Department of Health. And one of the pieces he was able to do was I kind of see him as a promotor within the state. And he, what he, what he knew was there are some organizations that are already doing the work that the state needs to be doing. So let's go to them, let's employ them, let's give them money to support the work that that we can't do, that they can do, that they've been doing, that nobody else can do like them. Mm -hmm. um, and it's equitable, and and the outcome measures are going to be better. And so. Uh, what he was able to do was kind of broker that work to come to people who were already doing it. And uh, he saw who was doing what. And in, in one of the cases, for example, he came to us and said, you know, I really, you know, I, I know the work you guys are doing. Would you guys be willing to share and train other people? Well, we had already been training via our phone call. Um, we use that method as, as a way to train people via Zoom. But then we got to meet in person a couple of organizations here in North Central Washington. And we got to train other organizations, community-based organizations. 
And each of those organizations took the information and made it work in their community. And, and they were super successful, continue to be successful. Um, and so we saw a lot of relationships that were strong, become stronger. And I think the really, the really cool thing was that state, we started seeing that like for our, our phone call where I was talking to you earlier about that, it was for promotoras and community-based organizations. What we found is that state people uh, local health jurisdictions also found out about our work and what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And because they didn't know what was happening, they started attending our calls. And uh, one of the things that we, it was it was great that they were attending our calls and listening on, on what was happening. But we, I really liked the group that we were working with at the time because their equitable view also made us be very conscious of the fact that we didn't want people to come and use us as a way to, to get information and take it back and say, oh, this is what's going on with the community. This is what's happening. We we said, you guys are going to just come here and, and suck up the information, steal it, take it and, and make it your own. And, and so I, I really appreciated, you know, some of the some of our partners really drawing a line there and saying, you know, if this phone call is for these people first, we're going to report out first. We're going to talk about our issues first. And then when you guys have time, and if we have time, we'll hear things you guys want to share out or things you guys want to ask. It was very sacred and it continues to be that space for us. But uh, yeah, I think I think for our state and in our local health jurisdiction, they, you know, honestly, we worked more closely with the state than we did our, our local health jurisdiction. I think my boss um, Sheila worked more closely with with them in particular, but I kind of felt like our work was broader, bigger. And then we, our phone call was just for Washington State, but very quickly became um, we started having phone uh, people on the call from Oregon, from California, Idaho, and so now it's become kind of a West Coast kind of call. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have visitors from from different states and different speakers. Um, from different locations come and talk and address us or teach us, train us on things that are important uh, for us. And so um, it's it's become a very um, important call. But again, that system ended up working to the advantage of, of other local and state agencies um, that work with the population that we work with. Yeah. And, and it is really incredible to see, you know, what would normally be a pretty focused kind of locally locally oriented or regionally oriented program suddenly be involved in state level or like you're saying the we- the entire western united states now being connected through outreach work i think is really impactful for for learning and then taking it back to those local contexts and and using what was shared in the best way that will serve the community and i wanted to shift a little bit because one of the focuses I know of our of this podcast project overall is thinking about the the mental and behavioral health impacts of COVID. And so we are seeing so many things that are are almost universal and that we know that COVID has had a huge impact on mental and behavioral health of of everybody, but especially on frontline workers. And we know that kind of those those frontline workers and essential workers have really bared a huge burden from the impacts of COVID. And so I wanted to ask a little bit about that as the outreach and behavioral health coordinator, you know, how to support outreach workers, how you see the impacts of mental health due to the pandemic on that group. 
So the first one, I'll talk about how it is that we have sustained each other, how we lifted each other up. Mm-hmm. And then the next piece, I'll talk about mental health. And they kind of overlap, um, but um, I'll address the first one. I was, um, I'll give you a really great example from this morning. Um, I walked in this morning and I found this lovely, um, and you'll see a bit our, 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 our this is it's a beautiful bright orange cup. And so somebody, an organization, uh, a parent organization who has started um, because of some of our mental health issues with children, a group of local parents who I would call promotoras began this Quincy um, Padres Tomando Acción group. And one of the, the, the founders, one of the founders was brought me this cup. And so, um, yeah, and so this is the little stuff that we do for each other. And then, and then I got this little, I think it's Tamarindo that somebody went to <laughs> go for. Um, and I saw it, my mouth was watering this morning. And then it just a bracelet with a St. Jude kind of thing. And, and this is the kind of little things, I guess, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but those are the kind of things we do for each other. One of our coworkers will bring in uh, bread that she made and she wanted us to have some. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, uh, my coworker next door, Priscilla, she loves these certain kind of chips and they're really hard to come by. So everybody, including her patients, know that she loves these chips. And so people will look for them for her. Um, and it's those really small little details like, you know what, I saw this cream that I know somebody likes and I'm going to buy that for them. It's the really small things that I think sometimes make a big deal. Um, but beyond that, it's us um, sharing the very small wins that we have. So, um, you know, we have really have we have a tough case that we're working on right now, and we often talk about it. Um, and we we talk about the little wins of people growing and us seeing them grow. Um, we we talk about hey, you know that patient that owed sixty four thousand dollars. Well, I was able to clear that. Um, wow. You know, and um, and I think about, I, I remember writing a report about one of our promotoras, Imelda, and I think that she has actually saved somebody. I mean, I think I made these numbers, and it was like one or two little cases, like $100,000 or more. And and so she's done all these crazy things with, with because she's like our finance and taxes guru. Mm-hmm. And it's celebrating each of those and her sharing the stories and us listening and, and celebrating that and then really talking about, do you do you understand the impact that you've had um, by that small act that you did or going above and beyond? So, you know, I think we celebrate those small little wins and we talk often. So maybe some of the beeps and things that you've been hearing on my phone, even though I have it on Do Not Disturb, is people checking in. So our coworkers, even though they're in the next town, sometimes they feel like they're here with us because we're always calling about important things and then sometimes really simple things hey do you have any more COVID tests um no I don't okay see you later and we hang up and mm-hmm. then sometimes these longer drawn out cases that we need to talk about um our planning but I think you know it's we talk a lot about that and I think the other thing I want to talk about that's super important to me is that we have that we need to have programs and individuals who really understand promotora work and needs. Mm-hmm. So people need to know what the framework is 
So that science piece is really important. So the science is there, but what I didn't talk about is that the methodology, the philosophy that we use, uh, we use popular education. Pablo Freire's work is the base of information and the way that we share outreach. And, and so that method, you know, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later, that is that um, I'm, again, that little science geek I talked about was that neuroscience informed therapist piece. I, I really, be, because I do do that kind of work, I bring that into the work that I do. And I find that popular education has been using neuroscience informed methodology to do its work, but we, we've never been able to link that. Sure. Um, and, and so I think, you know, it's kind of like our brain, it makes these, these little connections and it's the same thing. Um, that's why that works um, for people who may be on a, you know, their health literacy is different. So um, I think promotoras have been doing that kind of work, but we haven't talked about it. And I think that talking about what we did, reviewing it, uh, celebrating it, and then using it to to make new inroads in the work that we do is is very, very informative as well. Um, and I think it also speaks to the piece about how do we take care of each other? It's using the right methods, the right philosophy, and then knowing who we do it for. We do it for each other here at our clinic, but we also do it for our patients. Um, and I think the philosophy of, of our mission statement here at the clinic, we live that every day. I think we're the one organ, the one department that gets to live it, live it out. And so, you know, that's, I mean, I I'll, I can talk about lots of other things, but we're also very close. We support each other in our personal life and, and our professional life. And, and, um, and I think for me, again, that framework of knowing um, your uh, promotora program and how to be flexible with promotoras, know that they need time off, that their schedule needs to be flexible, that we got to figure stuff out, that even though you have a tight system, you're going to have to tweak it to make and, and uh, have promotoras give them the wings that they need to do the work that they need to do. So I think that's, those, those are really important keys that some people, I, I've seen organizations that have a bunch of promotoras and they just can't make it work. And it's because they don't have the right um, guardian angel, <laughs> the right uh, manager or the right lead to take that on because they don't they don't have an understanding of the, what the program is. So I think that that's super key for for how do you support them? And and it's really focused on what they're doing well, not looking at the past, but looking at moving forward. Um, and that's very much like the kind of mental health work I think that has been necessary during COVID because it's it's so overwhelming. COVID was so overwhelming for everyone, including mm-hmm. for caregivers, for therapists and and our and our our clients here our, our patients and co-workers um, I saw lots of our co-workers leave um, the organization I saw lots of friends who left healthcare altogether people who decided to stay home I, I think for some people they that's what they needed to do and it needs to be okay and I think for me focusing on the mental health piece with our patients in particular is what can we, what do you need right now? What do you, what do you need? It, do you need food right now? Okay, let's find you some food right now. Um, how about food over the long course? And so really focusing on, on basic needs um, has, has been where we, where we have had to focus. And then 
you know, again, looking at past stuff, I, we don't have time to do that. So it's really looking at what can we do right now? Uh, and what can I help you, you know, um, do from today on? What, where can we move and be positive? Mm -hmm. um, kind of get you the needs. And, and then also being realist. We have to, that's that's the one hard, that thing that's been really hard for me is being, a, being able to share with people. I, I cannot find you an immigration attorney to help you get your partner you know, legal anytime soon. Um, and so sometimes it's like, you know, you're, you know, I can't find you an attorney for you to get a divorce right now. I, we have these other huge cases and that, that's, that might not get looked at. I'm going to turn it in, but I just want to be honest with you. And so it's been, you know, really reality based right now situation. And, um, and I think our patients appreciate that. And then also being able to have enough mental health people to address huge issues like that. We just don't have the capacity. And there's a sense of my own personal guilt, professional guilt for not doing more. Because mm. here I'm doing outreach and, and I have this, you know, this license to do mental health and, and these other areas. And, and I, I really had to think about how to do that. And I, I really feel like outreach is, I can reach more people with maybe just small nuggets that will help but uh, also helping some of our promotoras understand and and community members to talk and be open and, and to say things when they see things that are scary. And and we need to have people who will respond when we do say scary things. So for me, listening is huge. Um, yeah, so lots of work around mental health. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be doing some research right now about um, Farm workers and mental health with the University of Washington. Um, hopefully, some of that that uh, the, the the information will be out soon, and maybe we can share that with you when your guys' podcast goes uh, live uh, early this year, or this next coming year. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think as far as mental health, really being up also on on what the research is doing, are also leading research in the area that's most needed. Uh, again, those pieces are really important for for me as a, a mental health therapist but also using those pieces in the outreach work that I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and thank you so much for sharing those pieces, because I know that it's difficult to talk about all of these things that have happened. And it's really a heavy topic. But I think like you were saying, something that really speaks to the power of outreach is, you know, it's such a supportive community between the outreach workers. And so I wanted to to really take a minute to thank you so much for sharing all of this really incredible work that you're doing with us and for the work that you do today with your community, with farm workers in particular, it really makes a huge difference. It, it does. I think for me, if I could leave you guys with a, a, my golden nugget, I think that promotoras and community health workers, I've said this before, they're magic and you know, just just a really a workforce that's, that hasn't gained the recognition that it that they so deserve. So I'm glad that we're able to highlight their work and the work that they're they're doing out there. So muchas gracias, mil gracias a ellos. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Health Outreach Partners podcast series: The COVID-19 Pandemic and What It Taught Us. This publication was supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration of the United States Department of Health and Human Services under grant number U3FC S4184801000. 
a national training and technical assistance cooperative agreement under American Rescue Plan Act funding in the amount of $211,821. This information or content and conclusions are those of the author and should not be construed as the official position or policy of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.